turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Dooby-dooby-doo. Good afternoon. Welcome. New month here before us, second day of February, 5 after the hour of 5 p.m. Craig Roberts in your ear, keeping you company here. As you make your way um, to and fro, hither and yon, <laughs> as the case may be, on this Tuesday. And uh, we've got Brad Dacus joining us momentarily from the Pacific Justice Institute. We'll also visit tonight with Jonathan Keller, the president of the California Family Council. There is a new measure making its way through the California State Legislature, Senate Bill 217. That is going to specifically, if passed, require school districts to post and make available online for parents all written and audiovisual educational materials used in comprehensive sex ed and HIV prevention classes. This is something new because heretofore, because of the often graphic nature of the content, Schools are a little reluctant. Don't want to quite don't want to quite let mom and dad fully be aware of what's going on, and so they will either give you half the information, just a summary, require that you come down to the school to view the materials in person. Well, I think justifiably so. Every parent has a right to know what their children are being taught. Every taxpayer has a right to know what's going on in public education. And uh, toward that end, this measure, if passed, will force them to make that content available online so that parents can know exactly what it is their children are being taught. So we're going to get an update for you from Jonathan Keller on the status of that bill and how you can help out. Also, the Biden administration, no surprise there, attempting to neutralize the Hyde Amendment. We'll talk a bit about what the Hyde Amendment is and why this is just one of several ping-pong-type issues related to abortion that seems to go back and forth from administration to administration, Republicans to Democrats, and uh, what can be done, if anything, to stop that. Let's, uh, Let's deal with an issue here, kind of the proverbial elephant in the room. We're... We're coming through a period of time when Americans, I think we can all agree, whether conservative or liberal, Republican, Democrat, or um, disinterested neutral, would say has had the earmarks of a lot of anger in this country. And people are now in the post-Trump presidency environment trying to understand how, how did we get here and what's behind all of this. Well, let me give you 
if I might, just a brief insight into one issue here. And without regard to what your political persuasion might be, I hope after I've shared this with you that you will agree that there are degrees to which we major on the minors, ignoring the important stuff and getting swept up in the cause celeb of the moment, oftentimes to our own detriment. Last week we reported on the program that a committee established by the school board for the Department of Education in San Francisco had voted on a six-to-one basis to essentially strip 44 San Francisco public schools from their namesakes because it is deemed that these 44 individuals at one point or another in their life made a decision, made a statement, or behaved in such a fashion so grievous that we must not honor them by dedicating a school building in their name. And on that list are people that you would probably never expect, including George Washington, yeah, the same guy that was the first president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln, the man who arguably gave of his life for the sake of the Union and pushed for the emancipation of slaves in the mid-1860s before his assassination. And yet apparently it's deemed that while he did much for African Americans at the time, he didn't do enough for Indian Americans and therefore as a result should not be honored with a building in his name. Well, the San Francisco Unified School District is apparently not done. They are now renaming their art department on the basis of a document that stipulates that acronyms are symptoms of white supremacy. <laughs> now, if the acronym you're using is KKK, I'd agree. Absolutely. But this seems to go a bit too far. Tell me what you think. While the district is not quite finished with its renaming binge, as I mentioned, stripping 44 notable names, some maybe deservedly, I don't know. Now the district is changing the name of their arts department, which heretofore and previously had been titled VAPA, V-A-P-A, for Visual and Performing Arts, now instead will be known as the, wait for it, the SFUSD Arts Department. Now, according to ABC7 News, the change is made in accordance with, quote, anti-racist arts instruction. Sam Bass, the director of the SFUSD Arts Department, explained in a memo, quote, it's a very simple step we can take to just be referred to as the SFUSD Arts Department for families to better understand who we are, close quote. Now, 
other than a paper written in 1999, which doesn't specifically explain that acronyms are racist, though it does label, quote, worship of the written word. Yes, <laughs> let's, let's by all means not elevate the importance of language and reading and writing to any level that we could deem obtruse or over the top. Same paper, by the way, indicates that other purported characteristics of supremacy are perfectionism, a sense of urgency, individualism, and objectivity. Now, I will agree that some acronyms are probably confusing to non-native English speakers, though we use them all the time. Please RSVP and do it PDQ. <laughs> FYI, LOL. The, uh, the paper that refers to um, the issue of acronyms being the symptom of White supremacy apparently has been lost on the San Francisco Unified School District Arts Department as they dispense with the acronym VAPA for Visual and Performing Arts. And in the memo, I kid you not, in the memo, it specifically says, heretofore, the former... Visual and Performing Arts Department will instead be referred to as the SFUSD Arts Department. Close quote. <laughs> the irony of changing the name because VAPA is an acronym and announcing the new name, the SFUSD Arts Department, which, if you're not taking notes, also contains acronym. That point apparently was lost on the school district. I'm laughing because it's such a delightful caricature of what people think San Francisco liberals are all about. And apparently, I don't know, are they gluttons for punishment there? <laughs> because they must enjoy humiliation. Because if they're not humiliated by this, purportedly educated individuals charged with the responsibility of educating our children, who not only use modern standards to judge people in their behavior of centuries ago, and I'm not suggesting that there aren't cases that we need to look at this. Do I think that a statue dedicated to the honor of Robert E. Lee in the center of a park somewhere is a good idea? No, I don't know that I would necessarily melt it down and use it to make bicycle parts. I might move it to a museum and put a descriptive plaque with it so that people can understand who this individual was, his role in an attempt to try and codify slavery in America and his attempt at the the ruination of the nation by wishing to split us in two. I, I, I think that 
that it certainly bears educating people on that point, but does it mean that every single historical figure needs to be judged by the yardstick of what we deem to be permissible today? If that be the case, then I would suggest to you that even those that we honor today will probably 20, 30, 50, 100 years hence be deemed coming up short of whatever the more is and practical standards are of that future time. I understand the need to want to clarify and maybe steer away from acronyms, but when you suggest that they are somehow inherently racist and issue a memo stating that you are going to disband with the use of acronyms, rename the Arts Department in the San Francisco Unified School District, and in the very memo announcing that, refer to the former VAPA as now the SFUSD Arts Department. The irony, <laughs> the irony should be lost on no one. And this, my dear friend, is one of the reasons why we have so much anger in this country today. Because there are Americans that look at this and say, what absolute utter ignorance and stupidity. And given the fact that students are not even attending public schools in the city of San Francisco because of COVID, maybe the board could put a little bit more energy into getting our children educated and leave the alphabet soup of acronyms for another date and time. Maybe never. And so FYI, <laughs> this might be a moment to LOL, but I don't think so. 518 from KFAX, a look at traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I'm not sure what the acronym is for that. <laughs> Welcome back to the conversation. And as we continue on, we're joined now by the president and founder of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus, counselor, always Good to have you with us. Just having a little bit of a laugh here at the expense of the San Francisco uh, Unified School District. You probably heard on the heels of their decision to chisel the names off of 44 public schools across the city. They've now decided that the use of acronyms, specifically in this case related to their arts department, is inherently racist. And so as such, they issued a memo stipulating that VAPA, the Visual Arts Performance um, department at the district will now heretofore be called the SFUSD Arts Department. The irony of <laughs> the the irony of suggesting the inherent racism of acronyms and then announcing that they are eliminating the acronym only to replace it with another acronym apparently completely lost on <laughs> members of the San Francisco Unified school district's board. It's uh, it's an amazing world in which we live, isn't it? <laughs> so it, it certainly is, Craig. And when you see uh, local governments with that kind of leadership, very short-sighted, uh, lacking in a real education um, of an understanding of, of America, American history, 
uh, it's a uh, it, it, it's most uh, you know unfortunate, and, and the people of San Francisco they're they're going to have to pay the price for that when people are elected who really um, don't have a, a broader, more comprehensive understanding of of uh, our history and our heritage and uh, what what true civil rights has historically meant and must mean in order for any civil rights to survive. Just absolutely phenomenal. And as I suggested in my opening remarks, uh, as we try to kind of figure out the the turmoil that has been kind of bubbling below the surface in our nation um, over the last many uh, weeks, couple of months, a, a lot of it indicative of a growing level of frustration that Americans are having with things just like this. That they're not busy discussing what can we do to better education, to better educate our children in a time of COVID-19. How can we more rapidly get them safely back into the classroom and return life to some sense of normalcy while protecting our children and our families? No, they're not having discussions and debate over matters like that. They're instead talking about how it is that while Abraham Lincoln was a good guy to um, to free the slaves, not so good in the Indian Relationships Department, and therefore, after almost 100 years, his name needs to come down off of Lincoln High School, and all of it demonstrative of just that growing sense of frustration that we have, not just in the Bay Area, but I think nationwide, that there's been this significant departure from uh, what used to be a sense of normalcy or, or reason and open debate and concentration on the issues that really matter, and instead focusing on just a bunch of, of uh, liberal nonsense. Toward that end, I understand that you've got a new video series that you're going to be uh, making available that's going to help deal with many of these issues and more, obviously from the new unique perspective uh, constitutionally. But I'm, I'm curious for you to share a bit more about uh, this uh, this new uh, series you're putting together called The Dacus Connection. Yeah, Craig, this is uh, very different than what uh, most people have probably seen before, but it's so needed uh, with the view of such great division. Uh, what I do is I sit in the middle of a road, uh, just on the left side of the road, uh, you know, right in the middle of the road, and then someone sitting, uh, sits on the other side of the dotted yellow line right next to me on this uh, this road, a real road. And um, so we're taking a risk. It's sort of symbolic of the risk that you take when you uh, cross over to connect with someone who sees the world differently. And so we have a number of people on the program, a number on this, in the series, uh, that it's going to be extremely eye-opening. The first one just uh, debuted uh, this week. Uh, it's myself and actually a brother in Christ, a pastor, um, who has a different a political and a racial uh, angle and perspective than I do, <clears throat> and yet we're both brothers in Christ, and we address our questions, um, our concerns head-on, even the extent to which, you know, we don't ag- may not agree, or at least at first, and and um, that we, we connect, and we show how we do can agree and how we can connect and how we can increase our understanding mutually uh, with, with respect and yet not sacrificing what we both know to be true. So it's, it's really uh, something that I think is hopefully going to really catch on across our country as a model for how we can connect. The next uh, three episodes, uh, we have four more episodes. The next three we have uh, the most uh, famous atheist in America who I uh, befriended before, well before this, this uh, video uh, series. 
um, the transgender leader for California, who once again I befriended uh, with a pers- in a personal rela- uh, uh, friendship way uh, before this, this even was, was thought of. And then uh, the third is the uh, leader uh, for the Association of Islamic uh, uh, Groups and, and, um, and, and Organizations in California, and uh, who once again I connected with him uh, very practically in, in a very real way before this ever even came about. So these are real people that I've connected with, um, with respect. We see things differently in some regards, uh, but it's a great model of how you can, we can have love and respect at the same time of not compromising how we see what's true and what's right. And, um, and so I, I think it's going to be um, a great uh, example and also how we can also share Christ in a way in these, in these, with these individuals uh, that, that, uh, that's respectful and yet not in any way uh, diluting the gospel. And I think at the end of the day, that, that sense of coming together and reasoning and having discussions and some healthy, open debate, not a shouting match, not sitting down with the attempt to try and demean somebody else for their perspective or their viewpoint, but rather trying to genuinely understand is sorely lacking in this country. I mean, we used to be the best at it. Now, seemingly, we're at the worst at least in recent memory. And so this, I think, can be a wonderful educational series and an opportunity for um, viewers to really get a chance to understand not only differing perspectives, but how to get that dialogue started and how to do it right. Toward that end, if folks want to find out more about the DACA's connection, uh, I imagine just go to the website? Uh, that's right. And they can watch it. It's about a half an hour long each, each series. The first one that just came out, is available now, and um, it's right there on the website, and uh, they can just register and, and watch it, and uh, it's very well put together, and uh, I'm looking forward to the feedback of your audience. Um, I really am. This is a bold move. This is something different, but it's something in, that was uh, the Lord put on my heart to do, and I just couldn't, couldn't say no. Well, you're you're bolder than I am. I, I I like to stick to radio. My mother said I had a face for radio, so I'm just going to stay with that. <laughs> you're you're stepping out on faith, brother, and I I appreciate that. Uh, probably a little bit more photogenic than myself, anyway. Hey, for folks that want to get information, then uh, we invite you to check out the Dacus Connection, uh, PacificJustice.org, the website that's Pacific justice.org and then this is going to be released every week uh that's right that's my understanding i think it's going to be weekly we're going to be rolling these out and um i think it's weekly maybe it's bi-weekly i should get that down but i think it's weekly uh but uh yeah it's, it's something that people i think will def- I definitely want to check out i'm really looking forward to the feedback um on this so all right, we'll uh, we'll check it out and let you know whether you, we give you a thumbs up or a thumbs down. <laughs> There's Brad Dacus, founder president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Details about the Dacus connection by going to pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. Five thirty-two from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation 537. We're talking about education in this portion of tonight's program. And as I teased at the top of the hour, one of the issues 
desperately needed within public education, any level of education for that matter, where parents have an interest in a child and they have a stake, not only in terms of the outcome of that child's education, but also have a financial stake, we ought to have daylight. By that I mean parents ought to fully know and understand how their children are being taught, what their children are being taught, and we shouldn't have to jump through hoops to get that information. Toward that end, there is now for consideration in Sacramento Senate Bill 217 that will help shine some desperately needed light on the content of public school sex education, which heretofore has been kind of a a mixed bag. Some districts will say, well, if you want to know what's going on, come down to school and see it for yourself, or we'll send you some highlight notes without actually sending the detailed curricula. Problematic if you really want to know what's going on. Let's find out what's going on. Jonathan Keller joins us, president of the California Family Council. And a a sunshine-style law like this is certainly one well overdue. And I have to suspect, Jonathan, that much of the hesitation by districts across the state to fully disclose to parents the content of sex education is probably because they know there's information presented in those classes that a lot of parents are not going to like. Tell us about SB 217. Yes, well, Craig, first off, as always, thanks for having me. It's always great to be with you and your listeners, especially in this new year. Um, Yeah, this is something I'm kind of a little bit stunned. Uh, Every time I come on, I feel like we're always playing defense. So uh, to actually be able to talk about a positive bill Uh, something that could actually improve the lives of Californians instead of just yet another way our our overlords in Sacramento are trying to make things more difficult. Um, It's it's a little surprising. It's kind of refreshing. So um, this bill is very similar to one that we worked on last year. Uh, In January of 2020, there was a bill from State Senator Mike Morrell called SB 673. And uh, it was very similar. It would have likewise required there to be transparency, especially when it came to sexual education curriculum. And I should clarify, not just the birds and the bees. What they were really calling this curriculum was sexuality education curriculum. Mm. So it went beyond the basics of human reproduction into the entire LGBTQ alphabet soup of different types of indoctrination and different types of ideologies. And that's really what I think a lot of parents were greatly concerned about. That's what Senator Morell was concerned about last year. And when we worked on that bill back in January 2020, uh, first off, we could not have imagined how uh, tumultuous the rest of 2020 was going to be. But the good news that came out of that hearing was that even some of our progressive Democrat friends, many of them are parents, and even some of them agreed that it would be valuable, as you said, for there to be some daylight, for there to be some, some transparency as it came to how parents would be allowed to discuss these issues, how they would be allowed to understand what was being taught inside their child's schools. Um, I don't think it'll surprise anybody who's listening, any parent who's listening, to know that a lot of these districts, they're not necessarily filled with bad people, but they are just overwhelmed at best. And in a lot of cases, they do not make it easy for parents to 
find out what's really happening behind closed classroom doors. Uh, as an example, one of the ladies who was the inspiration behind this bill, Denise Persia, uh, she told us that it took her several months for the school district to finally agree to let her look at the curriculum being used in her child's schools. And then when she was allowed to see the curriculum, she had to get off of work. She had to go down to the district office, not even her own child's school location. And she had to see it during work hours only uh, for a certain period of time. Furthermore, she was told that because of copyright issues, she was not allowed to take photocopies or take uh, cell phone video or anything of the material she was looking at. She basically could review anything she wanted to, but then had to turn the textbook back over to the school administrators. Well, Craig, as you can imagine, that makes it awfully difficult to do any sort of good governance or good parenting oversight. So this bill, the follow-up bill to SB 673, as you said, the new title is SB 217. It would require, at minimum, that parents be allowed the same easiness of transparency that we see now in a new COVID environment that applies to restaurants. Just put it online. Um, Greg, if you've been to a restaurant in the last couple of months, almost every restaurant I've been to now, they have a little QR code where you can scan at your table or you can scan uh, as you're waiting in line. You can see what the menus are so they don't have to hand you any piece of paper that could be cross-contaminating. This would just make it that easy to look at the types of things your minor children are being taught in classrooms. And, you know, frankly, if it's good enough for restaurants, if it's good enough for all host of other government documents, it should easily be good enough for parents to look at what their kids are learning. Well, more importantly, and alongside with that, is the issue that we're taxpayers. We're paying for this stuff. We have a right to know what's being taught in public schools to children at the taxpayer's expense. And more importantly, parents have a vested, not only a vested interest, I believe they have a responsibility to know what their children are being exposed to, whether or not it's in harmony with the values that are being taught at home, in uh, church or, or synagogue, whatever the case may be, and uh, to suggest somehow that it's an inconvenience, it's a potential copyright violation. I mean, that, that, that's, that's just deflection techniques, in my mind, in an attempt to try and uh, not disclose the content of the curricula, and therein lies the problem. Anytime you're afraid of sunshine, there's a reason why. Absolutely. And uh, to quote um, a, a phrase from our new president, uh, frankly, it's a bunch of malarkey. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, idea that, the idea that copyright, uh, the idea that, well, you know, we're worried that these parents are going to somehow be uh, violating uh, patent law by making a photocopy of these potentially objectionable pages from their child's textbook. I, I mean, really, it strains credulity. I mean, I, I just don't understand how these books that uh, many kids are going to be uh, looking at, they're going to be indoctrinated in on a regular basis. The idea that it would be something that parents would not have the ability to review, to, to study, and to really understand, uh, frankly, it's very disturbing. And uh, sadly, it's in line with what we've seen in the last year 
um, Craig, as I'm sure you've talked about on the show before, we've heard stories upon stories of parents who overheard their child's teachers talking about some very disturbing things, and the only reason they heard about it was because their child was doing a Zoom class in their living room or at their mm-hmm. kitchen counter. Well, the reality is that I think a lot of the things that have been revealed in the last year under you know Zoom school and these, these remote lockdown learning environments, all of that type of material was being taught for the last uh, 20 years, but it just was hidden behind those closed doors and parents were not privy to it. Um, I think at bare minimum, especially as uh, hopefully, Lord willing, we get to a point where schools are going to be open and kids are going to be going back to a somewhat more normal learning environment, I think that makes this type of a bill, like SB 217, even more of a priority because it's not going to be forever that parents are going to have that window into the classroom that we've been afforded for this last year. Uh, Sooner or later, those windows are going to close and those doors are going to close. And once again, teachers, I think, are going to be tempted to view this as their own little fiefdom where they can just spread whatever information they want to into these young, impressionable kids. And I think it is incumbent upon every parent, every legislator, even if you're not a parent, to support this type of a bill as as the bare minimum of, of good governance and transparency. Yeah, I, I thoroughly agree with you. And again, um, anything if, if, that 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 influences the mind of a child, a parent has a right to know exactly what that is, who that is, what's being taught, why it's being taught. And, um, you know, if if there is a fear of transparency, then that tells you something. If there's no fear of transparency, then we should have no issues. And if it brings up matters that parents have a, a, a reason to then show up at the local school board meeting and say, hey, look what I just found. And there has to be a, um, a reconciliation that takes place or um, perhaps a uh, um, coming, to, uh, coming to terms with the reality that there's content that is against community standards. Well, then that issue also needs to be addressed. Jonathan, for folks that want to perhaps um, send a quick email or make a telephone call to their member of the California State Legislature and encourage them to get behind Senate Bill 217, how, how fast do you anticipate this moving, and should folks start communicating now? Yeah, absolutely. So this bill is still, fortunately, in the early stages. Uh, we do have the bill number, which is, as you said, SB 217, but they are still allowed to introduce new legislation up until February 19th. So we anticipate there'll be kind of a little bit of a flurry of activity on new bills for the next uh, next two weeks. But after that, uh, things will really start to kick into gear. So I would, I would encourage all your listeners, if they'd like to stay up to date on the latest, not just with this bill, but with all the craziness coming out of that building in Sacramento, go to our website, californiafamily.org. Uh, when you go there, there's a button right at the top that says sign up. You can join our email list. It's free. doesn't cost you anything. And we also don't blast you out with a million emails a day. We're not like uh, some certain political campaigns. <laughs> we try to send one, maybe two very succinct emails a week, give you just the basics of what you need to know, and it's a great jumping-off point for you to share with your friends, your family, 
school, church group, and give you the, that contact information as well so that once the bill starts moving, we will have all the relevant names, emails, and phone numbers so that people can contact their representatives in a timely manner. Good stuff. And again, uh, one of the best ways to stay in contact is reach out to CaliforniaFamily.org. That's CaliforniaFamily.org. And uh, keep top of mind Senate Bill 217, which would specifically require districts to post online for parents all written and audiovisual educational materials that are used in so-called comprehensive sexual health education and HIV prevention education in taxpayer-paid California public schools. There's Jonathan Keller, president of the California Family Council. Information again online, californiafamily.org. 550 from KFAX.